0: Well, it's Al. Bad. Happy December first, Al.
1: Hey, uh, happy winter to yeah. everybody. it's a it's a nice day. I have to uh, say, I'm a big fan. Uh, my wife and I both of the Maverick machines. Aw, so appreciate them. Uh, see them at a lot of ball games. And a uh, you know, tuba. I have kind of a mixed feeling with the tubas. <laughs> uh, I like hearing them, but uh, when I was in high school and junior high playing football, they had a program where it was usually businessmen who would pick us kids up after practice and take us home. So, so we'd behave ourselves and sure. everything, I suppose, and get home. And they'd also do that to band members and choir members and the broadcast, uh, which was the uh, school paper and whoever else was there got a ride home. And I rode home often with a guy with a tuba <laughs> uh, it, uh you know, they were station wagons mainly then. They'd throw all the kids in. So th- there was room, but, boy, that tuba took up a lot of room. And I was just uh, thankful he didn't play it because I don't know <laughs> that he was that accomplished tuba player yet. So that would have been painful. But I remember riding home with a tuba, and the driver of the car, who was a band teacher, uh, had... One of his dogs in there, a German Shepherd, and insisted on chewing on my letter jacket <laughs> and growling at me and looking at uh, with evil eyes. So I kind of have, uh, I think about being chewed on by a German Shepherd whenever I think of a tuba. Yeah,
0: so it's kind a, of an odd way. A bad association then. You know, my first experience with, mm. with, I only was in band, you know, growing up, I was played clarinet and of course was familiar with all the musical instruments that a band has. So when I would hear music on the radio, Guitars and bass guitars never crossed my mind, so I would listen to a song a lot of times, and I would hear the bass and think, "How did they make that? That must have been a tuba versus a bass guitar." That's that's how I used to think way <laughs> way back before I I was in my you know then eventually became in my own band with guitars and and bass guitars etc. But I always thought that the bass note on every song was had to have been the tuba. <laughs>
1: what? I grew to like him. There was a a guy, uh, Big Ben. Everybody knew him as Big Ben. He was from Glenville. And he played in what we would call probably uh, Oompa, Bands when we were youngsters, sure. and they're now their old-time music. But he would ride in all the parades and everything, playing that tuba. And man, he could make uh, beautiful music come out of that tuba. And it was fun hearing him. I, I have to mention too, Cato Cab going out of business. I'm sad to to hear of that. I have never ridden in a Cato Cab, but I have uh, driven the roads forever. Uh, bad weather, uh, driving around, and I see Cato Cab going down the highway, taking, I knew they did a lot of medical things and all that, and it was always comforting just seeing a Cato Cab in the night, and it was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that, yeah. a lot of folks out of a job, and it's just a sad. a sad thing. You know, birds are a way to experience joy and wonder. They're adorable, and I'm going to make up a word, they're outdoorable. There's something you can do outdoors, and I watched a brown creeper fly from the base of one tree to the next in the front yard here, and it forages upward each time. So it starts at the base of the tree and goes up. In a nutshell, it'll move up, down, and sideways on a tree. I had a fox with this plush nose warmer, otherwise known as a tail, run through the trees uh, just uh, A little ways from the house here. I see ironwood and red oak. It's uh, showing marcescence, meaning it's having uh, withered persistent leaves. And ironwood makes great tool handles and posts. There were four chickadees on one platform feeder on Thanksgiving here. There are few things more cheering than a chickadee, but I seldom see four of the hypervigilant birds on a single feeder. Starling and house sparrows were present in good numbers. Um, I don't know. Thanksgiving, it was good to see them. Some people consider them the lima beans of birds, which we don't typically have for uh, Thanksgiving. My dad called them butter beans and claimed to like them, but I think he was... I don't know. He was trying to build character by eating them, maybe. I don't know what he was doing with those. Uh, Dark-eyed juncos were here and there, and they're called snowbirds. John James Audubon wrote, So gentle and tame does it become on the least approach of hard weather that it forms, as it were, a companion to every child. Indeed, there's not an individual in the Union who does not know the little snowbird, which in America is cherished as the robin is in Europe. And I saw venacious. Oh, I I like throwing in venacious every so often. I love that word. It's the color of red wine, but it just, I could have said the color of red wine, but I like venacious. Purple finch male joined uh, the Thanksgiving Day, and of course, opinionated blue jays piped up from time to time. Um, Heard from David Hunter and he said in Minnesota we call the hop hornbeam ironwood and it doesn't have smooth bark but in Michigan and Ohio they call beech trees ironwood and they do have a smooth gray skin so yeah we like to name things differently so i appreciate you david good to hear you and uh karen you sent me a photo mm-hmm. of a uh, what well, was a white-throated sparrow next to a, a little small mammal and uh, people were wondering if it was a vole or a
0: shrew. Yeah, there was a, it's a Facebook thing on one of the, the, the gardening sites I'm on, and pe- somebody had a picture, and there was this big, long debate. Some said, it's a vole, it's a shrew, it's a vole, it's a shrew. And then they were arguing the merits or not merits of it, and some, you know, would respond, kill it. And others, oh, no, don't do that. So my question was, was it a vole or a shrew? Could you tell from that picture?
1: It's a candy, it's a breath mint. <laughs> I wonder if cert's still around probably um, uh, i don't know the, the white-throated sparrow on that photo they're probably oh i'm holding my finger and thumb apart like i always do oh i'd say six inches maybe seven inches at the most from uh tip of bill to the tail uh voles which a lot of, people will call them meadow mice. You'll hear that a lot, meadow mice. And those are voles, meadow voles. They, they have a rotund body and they're uh, maybe five to, I suppose maybe a really big one would get up to eight inches long at maturity. They have round heads. Their eyes are larger than shrews. They have this really short, smooth fur and i've often said that they would make wonderful coats but you'd have to have <laughs> i don't know how many thousand little yes, voles thousands. to make one and their tails are maybe an inch and three quarters long and the voles are herbivores so they feed on bulbs tubers Grr. tender young plants surface roots
0: uh,
1: <laughs> the bark uh, from trees and shrubs
0: my enemies
1: Yes, they can uh, quickly girdle a small tree. And and unlike moles and shrews, voles are very social. So where you find one, you usually find a bunch of them. They, just, they have all the relatives over. They have big families. And they like to tunnel in mulch or ground cover. Um, and they leave above ground leaving surface trails. And a shrew... A mature shrew, maybe five inches at the most, and they have a thin tail, about 7 eighths of an inch long. Uh, they have really small beady eyes that are really almost, uh, they're difficult to see. They have really small ears, and they have a pointed snout. They have pretty poor eyesight. They're uh, classified as insectivores because they eat earthworms, grubs, uh, millipedes, spiders, too. Uh, but I've watched them under my feeders, and they are. Oh, they also eat snails and beetles. So a lot of people like them because they're eating all the snails and stuff. But I've watched them under my feeders, and they're eating sunflower seeds. Uh, I know people that have had them in captivity. Oh, man long time ago, I I went to a seminar with a mammologist, and he had a shrew, and that it would store all these nut meats. But I have watched them eat sunflower seeds, so whether they're putting them in there to store them later, I don't know. You often see them under feeders. And they're there for a number of reasons. Uh, part of the time the, they'll be after insects. Part of the time they're eating these sunflower seeds. Uh, in the winter time, I've seen little holes in the snow under the feeders, and I watch, and very often a little shrew head will pop up out of there. They will kill mice, uh, so they're they're neat little animals. I think it looks like a shrew to me because it looks like it has a uh, pointed snout. Oh. But uh, I don't know if the photos—you know—photos will play tricks on us sometimes too. But that's what it looks like to me. They're pretty easy to identify in in life. So if you see one out there, you can say, oh, boy, that's a shrew or that's a vole." And the photos just allow for a little more anonymity. So,
0: so the the from, for the gardener, the the uh, vole is probably worse correct
1: oh much worse okay. yeah uh, shrews are they're pretty good company they're hap- you know and they will eliminate an occasional mouse but they get rid of a lot of insects and they're just they're cute little guys and they they have to eat about their weight every day they have this metabolism that uh, is incredible so and i i like seeing them uh, Audrey Elke of Grand Meadow said, a friend near Stewartville had this bird in her yard a month ago. Do you know what it is? Thanks. And it's a photo of a large black bird with a long tail with some red on its face. And if you looked at the bird, if you all could see it, you'd say, boy, that looks sort of like a ringneck pheasant, only it's black. Most black are melanistic. Uh, that's a color mutation. ring pheasants are pen-raised and have escaped from a game farm. So it's a cool bird to see, but uh, that's what it is. Hmm. Uh, Jill Evans. Hi, Al. I wanted to share this Thanksgiving treat with you. We've not had an Oriole in the six years we've been in our current home. We've tried to attract them many times with various nectar feeders. And now, the end of November, on suet. Crazy uh the carolina wren returned this fall too not bad for a little backyard in the middle of a mankato metropolis yeah she had a uh, carolina wren last year but she's got a a baltimore oriole feeding on suet and they uh they will do that i don't know why it's still hanging around i'm glad you got a oriole uh, because you've been trying hard Jill and you're deserving so i'm glad you got one there Uh, Nels Thompson of Oatana said, Muzzle loader deer season starts. Time to bundle up and get my pocket full of sunflower seeds. I put out a little piece of wood to sprinkle a few seeds on. I have far better luck drawing in chickadees than deer. I think I am much more entertained by the chickadees, even though they offer nothing for the tummy, they do for the spirit. I'm overfed anyway. And his signature line was pretty cool on his email. Uh, Nels wrote, those who are not students of science are condemned to fear its progress while being victimized by its charlatans. Uh, Brad Baldwin. Brad uh, is the compiler of the Fairmont Christmas Bird Count, and he has been one for I think about as long as they've had one over there. He's done it for a long time anyway, and I appreciate Brad. Uh, The Fairmont CBC will be Thursday, December 17th. And anyone interested can contact Brad Baldwin, and his number is 831-1189, 831-1189. Brad says participants do not need to be bird experts. If they would rather not bird outdoors, participants can count birds at their bird feeders. The count area is a seven and a half mile circle centered at Amber Lake park and this reaches the iowa border and the circle includes east Jane, wilbert this is your chance to get to wilbert hmm. i know there's listeners i've never been to wilbert and imogene my wife and i were in imogene the other day it should not be missed it nearly reaches northrop and welcome Ooh. and all birding will be done there'll be no meetings so you're not going to have to come there and get a large group together and i know this in most years that's one of the highlights of it now it's a, a concern so it that will not be needed uh, cheryl holland of blue earth is, she said i know it's not uncommon for male cardinals to fly into the windows in the spring thinking they are being territorial when seeing their reflections but we have a pair of cardinals that every morning sit in an old pine tree outside our window, and the female continuously flies into the window while the male sits and watches. If I open the window, they will fly to the other side of the house, and the female once again continues their behavior. Strange indeed. Why? Why indeed? <laughs> um Some, you know, a lot of us, we get the Christmas cards, and they have a a beautiful evergreen of some kind filled with cardinals. And cardinals do flock in winter, typically. Some cardinal pairs don't join flocks, and they'll remain on territory as a couple. And that could lead to territorial behavior. So they're keeping a winter territory. They don't want to be part of a flock. They've just decided they're going to, they're going to self-isolate, and or maybe she's just not a mourning bird, Cheryl. But the female cardinals will fight with windows. Uh, we've had them here at our house. Um, mainly it's the male, because well, males can be idiots. And once in a while, though, the female say, give me a shot at that. You know, I want to chase that other female away. So it does happen. Uh, it's much more odd to see at this time of year than in the spring or during the breeding season. Dean Young, who lives in Wisconsin, sent along a photo. And he said, what is this bird? It was on a suet feeder. And it was a Baltimore Oriole, just like Jill has. Uh, there's been a few of them hanging around. I don't know why. You want to ask them. As Ricky Ricardo would have said if he were still alive, those birds have some splaining to do. So we'd like to know why they're here. But uh, they're here, and I guess the best thing to do is enjoy seeing them. And if you got some suet or something to feed them, feed them. Uh, Dean Brinkman. Dean, I had a nice visit with Dean. Uh, he sent me a photo of a blue squirrel in Sleepy Eye. Uh, a blue squirrel it's definitely not a smurf Uh, i think uh, someone had tagged it Uh, a good friend tom benson was a barber in heartland and he felt he was being overrun with squirrels they were just everywhere so he got a live trap and he would trap them he liked the squirrels he didn't want to hurt them so he'd haul them out of town (laughs) <laughs> and he was telling me he hauled him about a mile away. It made said, some, It, it probably, made it
0: somebody else's problem, is what it did. It, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. And I said, Besides, they probably beat you back to town. And <laughs> so then he decided he was hauling, when he hauled him out, he'd put a little paint on the tail or something. He found some paint. I can't oh. remember what kind it was. He made sure it wasn't going to harm him in any way. And he. Finally figured out, I think he told me, he had it right down to like 4.8 miles or something. It was around five miles that he had to haul them and have the chance probability that he would not see one again. So, Dean, I think this is probably what somebody has done with this one. Uh, The other thing, uh, paintball, maybe. I got shot with paintball. I don't know what all colors paintball comes in. I suppose uh, many different uh, kinds. So that would be my other thought on it. But it it was pretty cool seeing it, and I appreciate you sending it. His brother, Dan, uh, lives in New Ulm and He sent along a photo also, and I appreciate. It. He has twelve cardinals in one tree. And, wow! Uh, I, I dream of that. You know, I as a kid, I'd see those Christmas cards because every Christmas card would have a cardinal on it. And I at the Bat Branch, there we had a grand total. If I add them all up, zero. We had zero <laughs> cardinals, so it was always uh, cool to see those cards. I had to go down to Iowa, and Grandma's, to see cardinals. Paul Schlick, Paul said tundra swans are t- still in the, on the river, uh, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands in mass, in many large groups packed into a five mile stretch between Reno and Brownsville. The low afternoon sun reflected off them and it looked like a gray river decorated with masses of brilliant white lights. I hadn't driven that stretch during prime swan season before. Maybe that many are there every year, but I'd never seen so many swans. Pretty awesome sight. You know, each year I used to wish for snow days. Uh, Pretty much every school day I wish for a snow day in the winter. And now I wish for a snowy owl. I'm not so excited about snow days. And thanks to the International Owl Center in Houston, Minnesota, I listened to Roar Solheim. He's a senior curator curator of uh, zoology at the National History Museum at Agder University in Norway. And Solheim has been studying owls for over 50 years after a pygmy owl inspired his interest. He spoke of snowy owls. Uh, Solheim said that snowy owls do not mate for life. It's difficult to tell the sexes apart. The male becomes paler with age, so he can tell the older males from the rest. The owls typically weigh about four pounds, and they're agile enough to catch birds in the air. Uh, Solheim told of one catching a pigeon in flight. They prey primarily primarily upon mammals like lemmings, and when they're here, it's probably voles. But they will take waterfowl, ptarmigan, and other prey. Solheim called snowy owls critically endangered. He believes there's only 14,000 breeding pairs in the world. Uh, clutch is generally six to eight eggs with a possibility of an owl living 20 to 25 years. And I know a lot of things uh, you will read will say there's 200,000 to 300,000 snowy owls, but uh, Roar believes there's, uh, well, like I say, 14,000 breeding pair. Hmm. And I read a wonderful book that I, I recommend. Um, it's called The Feather Thief, and it's it's. What's his full title? I'm going to go by memory here. The Feather Thief, Beauty Obsession, and the Natural History Heist of the Century. I think I've got that right. Anyway, it's by Kirk Wallace Johnson. He stumbled upon a story about a feather underground that refused to adhere to the law. Johnson investigated an unlikely ornithological crime caper. The theft of 299 rare bird skins from the British Natural History Museum in Tring, which has a collection of 750,000 bird skins, they can go back into these old skins and tell when mercury started getting uh, heavier, and in all kinds of creatures, they can do all kinds of research from these bird skins. And Johnson dove into this culture of rare and exotic bird trafficking and the insular world of fly-tying enthusiasts. And there's a certain community of fly-tyers with an unquenchable thirst for feathers from the Indian crow Kingbird Bird of Paradise, the Blue Chatterer, the Resplendent Quetzal, Bowerbird, and others to be used to recreate these outlandish Victorian salmon flies, some of which use the feathers from 15 species. So they collect these rare and valuable bird feathers. They pay exorbitant prices for the most exotic ones to use in the art of making intricate fishing lures and Edwin Rist, he was an accomplished student musician. Uh, he was a flautist in England, but I think he primarily he'd probably be a flutist here. I think we divide it up a little bit, but I'm not sure. He was an avid fly tire. He stole the rare bird skins, which were valued at, at least a million dollars. And he wasn't a fisherman at all. A lot of these People aren't. Uh, Johnson said that salmon couldn't care less about the absurd architecture of the flies. One bird skin, not necessarily stolen from the trink, sold for $6,000 on the black market. But Johnson also touched on another uh, abuse of feathers. Uh, at one time, 200 million, 200 million birds were killed each year for the millinery trade. And it took as many as 1,000 snowy egrets to yield a kilo. That's approximately 2.2 pounds of feathers. In 1886, an ounce of snowy egret mating plumes fetched $32. What was gold? Under $20 an ounce at that time. So conservation groups uh, railed against this abuse. And a feather trade lobbyists ran a campaign filled with animosity and half-truths while denigrating their opponents, which is the way of things like that. It eventually it led to a ban on such use of feathers, and it was determined that wildlife should pr- be preserved in their natural state. A listener said, "I saw a hawk with feathered legs. What kind was it?" More than likely, it was a rough-legged hawk. Uh, Rough leg refers to those feathered legs. It, uh, the ferruginous hawk, and the golden eagle are the only American raptors to have legs feathered to the toes.
0: You know, Al, Uh, you you mentioned uh, the feathers. I've seen a couple of places in the yard by the lake of, of like, uh, groups of feathers, like something must have got something and eaten a bird or something. And I was wondering what, what could that be? Because all of a sudden I was at the, the top of the hill looking, there was a whole bunch of feathers all together. And then I went down by the lake and there was a whole bunch of feathers It looked like some type of gray feather, So I don't know what kind of bird that might have been, but what could have gotten my birds on whatever kind of bird that could be? They're fairly large. It looked like a quite, quite a large pile of feathers
1: okay yeah they, they think of gray feathers this time of year you think of snowbirds the juncos but mm-hmm. it we have the excipiters, we have uh, cooper's hawks and sharp-shinned hawks and they are bird hawks very good at what they do although a uh, study of cooper's hawks found that they were successful about 12 percent of the time oh. and the other one would be cats and those would be the primary once. That said, you know, a junco or something could have flown into a window, fallen to the ground, and um, and mm-hmm. died, and then, you know, boy, then we bring in a whole bunch of other things. Okay. Anything that's out there, raccoons, skunks, weasels, anything like that could find them and then eat them. But if they're taking a live bird, it's primarily those expositors and cats.
0: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm thinking the one down by the lake but probably wasn't cats. I know that there's dogs around, so I'm and I haven't seen cats, so who knows? Anyway.
1: And if a dog is going to chew it up and eat it, they wouldn't. They would probably just eat the feathers too. And oh, just say, yeah, these aren't <laughs> bad, you know. Cause, you know, dogs can eat anything just about anything. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, around Thanksgiving, you think about everybody in your family and who's not around. The empty chairs. I always Mm. call it the empty chairs. And everyone in my family was uniquely odd, just like everyone else. And it's not anyone's (laughs) fault. My my father was a hunter-gatherer, and my mother was a hunter-tosser. Dad wasn't one to discard things. He just piled things higher. (laughs) <laughs> He'd lived through hard times when he didn't have much of anything, let alone something that needed jettisoning. He baited a mousetrap with a photo of cheese. He was that kind of guy. And not having much caused him to hang on to what he had, even if he wasn't sure what it was. Why buy new when old might do? What is this for, I asked often, and occasionally my father admitted he had no idea what the item was, but refused to part with it because he might find a use for it one day. He was seldom gone from the farm, but when he was, my mother organized trips. We called the herd of whatchamacallit's do-dads, do-hickeys, thingamabobs, thingamajigs, and whatnots, and hauled them to the dump. We should have pumped the brakes on that task. When dad returned, he organized another trip to the dump, where we brought back more junk than we'd hauled there. The dump was a shopping mall for my father. His mottos were, I might need that one day, and you never know.
0: You know, Al, well, you
1: never, I yeah.
0: laugh so much because of my dad and mom would do the same thing. There was a dump, they'd haul stuff out, and then they would come back from the dump with more stuff than had before, and it was just, you said that, and I just laughed because I remember that's how we got a a um, patio set. It's like, well, we, can, we yeah. can weld this, and we can, you know, he was a farmer, he could do anything, and and, you know, a lot of it kind of sat behind the shed for a while until then uh, once they passed, then you the, the kids end up having to get rid of it all. So just think about that, people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's you wake up one morning and you you realize that nobody wants all my junk. <laughs> right. I've got all this stuff, and nobody wants it. I'm the only one that wants this stuff, and I don't want it anymore. What do you do? And this sounds like an old joke, but we had a neighbor, Claudia. It would uh, stop over every so often. And he was a, a dumpster diver before we knew of such a thing. He just went out there. He was a, a lifelong bachelor. And uh, again, this is a punchline to an old joke, but he came in one day and had like a red kid on one foot and a blue <laughs> kid on the other one. And he said, can you imagine somebody throwing away a perfectly good pair of shoes like this? And, uh, well, we we couldn't, but he was was ahead of the game. He'd be right in style probably today. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope uh, this day is every bit as good. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Remember Heartland as what we're driving past. And Karen, thank you always as for your, for your uh, just wonderful company. I appreciate you.
0: Well, you too. Thank you, Al. And uh, go listen to some tuba music, why don't you?
1: I will. I like tuba music. I'm going <laughs> to okay. do that now. All right.
0: Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Bye-bye.
0: All right. Good friend, Al, Bat. there. It is 1032, and you're listening to a Minnesota Morning on the